Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today we bring you episode number 39 and I've got a special guest which is very, very exciting. I've had, I've, we've tried to tee up a, uh, a podcast before, excuse the motorbike in the background, um, but it didn't happen. But today he's on the coast so I grabbed him and we're going to have a good long chat about sports nutrition and that is Alex Thomas. Hello mate, how are you? Hey mate, I'm fantastic. Excellent. Thank you for asking. Uh, <laughs> no, right. people on podcasts, if you notice this with the intros, they yeah. often don't like ask how you're They get going. straight into it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that you took the time. Oh, and, and it's a genuine question too, <laughs> <laughs> not just a, a, a normal one. Um, so obviously plenty to talk about obviously you know you're the director and founder of uh, sports nutrition association so um give us a little background first i know you've you've talked about this on numerous podcasts so we may be rehashing a little (laughs) bit here because i've listened to a few of the ones you've been on with the bodybuilders dietitians and the macabolic podcast and all that sort of stuff but give us a quick background in in terms of you personally and how you've sort of found yourself in this position today so i I, like i um today will be the best way that i say this as well because I've had time to practice. Well, you're on the best podcast. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> you, this is the best platform for me. And those were, those other ones were just rehearsals for right. nailing this one. Okay, yeah, so the pressure's on. But <laughs> the, uh, the short version of it is about eight, nine years ago now, I had a gym. Um, it was a training and allied health center. So I had your gym space and then, you know, 150 square meters of offices where allied health practitioners work. So physios, ex-physers, dietitians, yep. all that stuff. Um, and on my staff, I had coaches that ranged from your ASCA S&C guys through to um, exercise physicists and exercise scientists, sports scientists, so your degree qualified guys. And I was supervising at the time mm. for UQ's uh, ex-phys department. Cool. Um, we had master's students that I was supervising and then the undergrad ones, primarily the postgrad master's ones mm. were coming in. That's who we were looking at recruiting. And one day, my insurance broker happened to like he was training out of there as you do yep. when you're the business owner everyone that you work with ends up being your client of course um and he overheard one of the sports scientists talking about nutrition to one of the clients and he was like you know you're not covered for that uh. and i was like what do you mean he's got a fucking degree <laughs> yeah, yeah like you know you, you can't be you can't be serious right now um you know and he's done two or three nutrition subjects within his degree of course and I've also got a dietitian on staff, so I'm fine. Yeah. And he was like, no, this is the story. People in fitness aren't covered. Wow. Um, I was like, oh, but there's like these other things out there, you know, and they've got like these um, you know, like these exams and, you know, I'm not going to name names. There's these other companies out there that are saying that getting insurance and he's like, mate, it's not like, it's not proper insurance. It's not a legitimate professional indemnity policy for a standardized profession that has a professional body doing the right things that they need to be doing. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, excuse my French, but like, shit. <laughs> what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, fuck, we got to fix this. Yeah. Um, I got to cover my ass. So I started really just talking to him about how I can get covered because at that point in time, my whole ethos within that company was like, we are going to be the full service thing. Like, yes, we're like training, nutrition, yeah, rehab. Yeah, shop. Yeah, that, yeah, that was the whole thing, right? Yeah, um, I was like, we're going to be the difference in the industry. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, like it was probably about six months back and forth to really establish what they were looking for because it didn't exist. Right. So then it was like, there's all this question asking, you know, and information gathering about like, we're saying, hey, like, we want to do sports, like, we don't want to treat chronic disease, that's mm. what the dietitian's for, but we want to talk to them about weight management, metabolism, performance, yep. um, you know, get them better. Like, yes, there's indirect health benefits, but it's more direct weight management and composition changes. What, what What's entailed with that? And they're coming back and they're saying, well, what is entailed with that? 
Wow. Like we don't know we're insurers. <laughs> So, we have to go back and really establish that line for where sports nutrition started and finished and yep. dietetics and treatment and management of chronic disease started and ended. Okay. And so, where those two, how those two, where those two worlds exist and where the clear lines were mm. and how they could coexist. So, that took probably about another 6 to 12 months. We had a risk assessment um, created. People, I, I, I mucked around in uni, collated a lot of hex debt, mm. never finished an undergrad. Okay. Funnily enough, got into postgrad programs I should have got shouldn't have got into okay. because I hadn't completed undergrad um, and I still got to sort out elements of that hex that I got twenty grand hex that from that <laughs> postgrad program that I was still trying to sort out. Um, and but colleagues of mine yeah. that they were finishing their masters and PhDs in dietetics. Yep. They they were finishing. And I was like, hey, I've got this thing. We need to do this um, risk assessment. You'll get credit for it working with it. And they were like, fuck yeah, this is like really needed. Like. We want to be a part of it. I was like, awesome. So we went back and forth, sent to the insurers. They loved it. And that established the line of where the industries and professions started and ended. Ah, cool. That, that was the biggest challenge. Then we had to establish what information, you know, I, I guess, what we ha- where the industry was and what needed to be taught. Yep. And at that point, sports nutrition formally at that point was probably 10, 11, 12 years old. Yeah, okay. So the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition was the first... Uh, non-profit publication designated specifically to sports nutrition. Yep. And so that's what, when I say, oh, when it was uh, founded and when it was formalized, it's it's in relation to its inception. Yep. And that's where I was getting all my information from because it was a one-stop shop for that. Otherwise, what you have to do is trub through, oh, like, you know, trawl through PubMed. Yeah. Or British Journal of Sports Medicine or some sports med journals. And every now and then you find something related to nutrition. Yes. But it'd be one in a thousand. Yep. So I, I wasn't about that. I was like, no, nah, I don't have time to look for one of those. Oh. I did. <laughs> it sucked, but then the ISSN came and I'm like, wow, it's all here. Thank you. Okay. So um, they had a, a loose curriculum and textbook in place and they had some exams. And that became very much a platform for where we started and that was sufficient to begin with. And then um, I ran the first cohort, for lack of a better word, with just myself and my staff and a couple of colleagues who were like, yeah, we want this too because we're doing this and we really want the cover. Absolutely. And then it just became this word of mouth thing and people were just calling me being like, I need to do the next one. I need to do the next one. And I never thought about like monetizing it or yeah, right. doing anything like that to make it a business. Yeah. I had my business. Yep. Um, and then sort of like two years went by and we probably put through like 100 people yeah, at wow. that point. Okay. And the insurers came back and they were like, you've got to start regulating. Like properly, like yeah. you've got people, this has got legs, this is positive, you know, it's time to like, it's time to get this stuff legitimate. So that was when it was accountants, lawyers, the insurers, underwriters, you know, meetings of all that nature for about six to 12 months. Wow. And it's like, you've got to incorporate not for profit. You've got to work out, you know, codes of conduct, practicing standards. Yep. You need to consider your own personal liability. Um, you know, and how that looks, there's going to be things that you, you know, depending on how you, like what your financial plans are in the future, that depending on the nature of how all this stuff set up can be exposed and stuff. 100%. Um, and I was like, at the time, I was like, hey, this is needed. Let's do this. Yep. And, you know, sort of wasn't aware at the time that that's sort of what really drives me. Like I might have things that I'm genuinely interested in. Of course. But I'll, at some point, my interest will wane. But mm. if there's something where I'm like, this is a need and I've got an emotional connection to it, then it turns out that I'll work relentlessly at it yep. to making it, like to, to helping it materialize. Fantastic. So it's something that I'm like pulled in the direction of, whereas for those other things I'd have to push myself. So sure. I, yeah, I had my business and I was like, oh, well, we'll do this. And then um, uh, with the other business, I um, was probably in my fifth year with that, 
I discovered a massive overpayment oh, wow. in my books. I overpaid myself four and a half years. Right. Close to about 300 grand. Um, and lodged that notice of overpayment for claiming a loss with the ATO, immediately went into triggering an order because it's like, hey, you're doing well, you're profiting, all of a sudden now you're claiming losses out of nowhere. Yep. So then I'm getting audited um, you know, for this loss out of nowhere. I told my staff, I'm like, guys, you've been overpaid. You don't have to pay me back, yep. but you need to pay us per your contract. We're talking about like 19%. So for them, it was a difference between about 100 to 150, 200 bucks in the hand right. every week. Okay. In two months, bam, 80% are gone. Wow. Three months after that, the um, site that I was renting got rezoned. <laughs> so commercially, we weren't allowed to operate. Right. And then and the council is serving notices, right? Eviction notices. And it's like 15 grand fine or something like this at the time. And it's like 30 days and then you got to get out. Wow. We didn't get one, but it meant I couldn't sell it as an ongoing concern. So I'm like, I'm in the black. We're sweet. Business is good. Yeah. And, and then, but I'd always be like, oh, why is my BAS so high? Like, why is the PAYG and GST higher than what I'm thinking? Yep. Because it's overpayment. And, you know, silly me, I'm like, I'm paying my, you know, like really good expensive accountants all this money to handle it. And I didn't know what my bottom line was to know. And ultimately, that's my responsibility. Of course. And so, four and a half years adds up. Ends up being, say, like 300K. And then, um, you know, so that's what leads to it. Ultimately, that's my responsibility. And I learned a really good lesson with it. Yep. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm in the black and all good. Then it's like, oh, I'm in this loss. When you get audited at that scale, you have to pay the auditing. Oh, do you really? Yeah. yeah so well. you start paying them. So when it's small ones, yeah, it's not like like they'll just do it and they'll ask you for stuff. But when yeah. it gets to a certain level, you have to actually start paying. Wow. And they charge you. And so yeah, I'm in the red. <laughs> the staff leave, and I'm like, wow, I'm really in the red. <laughs> so I'm focusing on like, wow, I've got to get everything back to be in the black and then this stuff's happening and they're like, we want you to go in on this. This is really, like we're a really positive impact. Yep. Um, and then it's like, oh, you know, like, so then I was like, right, I probably took me about six, seven months, got the business back in the black. And I was like, I, I think I'll sell it. Okay. At that point, I've then been rezoned so I can't sell it as an ongoing concern. Yep. So then I'm like, fuck, what do I do? I made the decision to go all in on um, the like education stuff because at this point I was like, I'm a glorified HR manager and recruiter. <laughs> I had my model, my rent at the time was 110 grand a year. Wow. And like, so then I'm like, all right, I needed minimum six staff on at all times to just cover expenses and pay myself. Yep. And I was generating three and a half, four grand a week myself in appointments. Sure. But that's just going into keeping the place open. Yep. And so I had some mentors and colleagues at the time. They're like, dude, you have this, you have three and a half, four grand a week that you're generating. Mm yourself what if you just paid rent to the gym and then you just work on this new one which sounds like there's a massive need for it and i was like yeah it sounds about right so i made the decision to just do that and whatever would work out okay and as it turns out um i got offered for i had offers for people to buy it and just buy the staff and the clients anyway okay now i didn't get anywhere near what i would get if it was an ongoing concern yep. but it was like it's a win so basically within a week i decided oh however i'm gonna go all in on this one mm. When my lease is up, which was in like nine months time, I'll, you know, just basically close it all down. Um, and then, yeah, offers start coming and then I'm negotiating for a month and then I'm like, wow, I can, and then, and then they were going to take, handle all the lease stuff. So I ended up finishing a little bit earlier. Okay. Um, and then when the lease finished up, I then double my intake places, the availability of them with like three weeks notice before the intake started. Yeah. Wow. And then that filled up immediately and it's just been sort of like whatever our capacity, from that point it was like, 
right wow i'm on the right track that yep. was the universe telling me <laughs> and um it like every time we like whatever intake numbers we set we've hit and always gone above capacity from that point it was oh, just really? like so it was probably four and a bit years ago now okay and it's just been all in on what was at the time sports nutrition australia yep um which you know down the track i had colleagues and people in new zealand being like we want this in new zealand so two and a half years ago we established Sports Nutrition New Zealand. Yep. And then two years ago, we held our first conference for Australia mm. at the Goldie, flew out international speakers. Yep. And I had a quick little sort of like address to the um, audience saying like, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're about. Threw some stats around claims out, you know, like, hey, um, I mean, at the time we were early 2019, um, and the stats were uh, three years prior, we were looking at approximately 10 claims in the industry a month would be um, filed. Now we're looking at like 120 plus. So we're seeing like, you know, a 1,000% increase in claims, like, you know, 1,100% increase in claims over three years. Ridiculous. Things are getting more litigious. Yep. It's, we're not saying that you have to do anything, but we just want people to be aware, right? Absolutely. And so it's like, we can be doing better, we should be doing better. Yep. That was basically what I was, you know, talking about 15 minutes. Yep. Um, and then the international speakers were like, man, this is epic. Like, we need this in our countries. And yeah. so then that was in when the inception of America, you yep. know, started getting planned in the UK and all that stuff. And then, yeah, um, the plan was to form a global body this year. And then COVID started last year. And I, we, we were talking about this before, but yeah. had all this travel planned. And um, as soon as the travel got cancelled, we are like, right, we're going to America earlier. We're going to go global body. So now it's the Sports Nutrition Association. We got we're in America, Asia, New Zealand, and Australia. Europe starts this month. Yep. And then Canada before June. Unreal. How good is that? It's pretty. It's and it, mate, it's been like yeah, like literally since that stuff happened. Um, you know, made the decision to sell the other business. Yeah. It's just been no looking back and head down bum up and a really awesome journey. Unreal. What a story. That is so cool. Um. All right, we'll talk about Sports Nutrition Association now. So, you know, obviously, you've, you know, prior to that, it was Sports Nutrition Australia, but now you're global. So what is the the premise? What is the, you know, obviously, education, awareness, yeah. all that sort of stuff? Give us a bit more of an overview as to what people can expect, particularly those that may be listening that want to further their education in nutrition. Yeah, okay, cool. So the... I'd say the first thing is our mission statement is to ensure the sustainable prosperity of the sports nutrition profession. Okay. And a big part of that and challenge for us in the next three to five years is the establishment of that profession. Mm. So what it actually like means to be that. Yep. In five years time, I'm confident that that'll be known. Mm. And then what we'll be working on is then maintaining the integrity of that. So that way people can, as the profession and the member base you know, grows, yeah. those professionals can continue to prosper sustainably. Yes. Um, so that's that, that's the mission statement. So effectively, we're a regulatory body first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So what that means is we regulate and establish what and, and, and standardize what best practice is. Yep. So I know we'll chat about this stuff down the track, but you know, everyone's like, low carbs are the best, keto is the best, all yes. this kind of stuff. Yes. It's providing, it's establishing what the base level acceptable practice is and what that bandwidth is so yep. it's like okay keto might be good for people yep who would it be good for yes when would it be good for them yes absolutely. when 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 it when may it be suboptimal is, even if it's good is it feasible for them yeah yeah absolutely like so establishing these things and trying to get away from like dogmatism or absolutes and understanding that there's nuance and context and even though something might be the best mm. um, best practice isn't necessarily doing what's the best in the research 
best practice first and foremost is doing no harm and then allowing the research to inform your practice with the individual. Oh, well said. So yep. that's that, a big thing from our end is establishing, hey, here's our bandwidth. Mm. Now, it might for some people, that bandwidth might seem really um, like really restrictive yep. and small. And for others, it might be like within the bandwidth, it's like, oh my God, that's so open. It's like, we can go, you know, a, a, a carbohydrate recommendation of this much, yep. protein recommendation of this much, fat recommendation, like all this calorie recommendation of this much, that's huge. And for other people, it's like, oh, that's so restrictive. So it, like, it's subjective, but there's a bandwidth there. Absolutely. The evidence informs us of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then individual application is all the nuance in between that bandwidth and how, how we work within. So we establish a bandwidth within the profession. Um, and then we have some small pieces of code of conduct with how we want people approaching practicing as a professional as well. Yes. Not, just, not just as far as the academics are concerned, but more the professional standards are concerned. Yeah. yeah, so it's like how they work with people. Yes. How we interact on a professional level is a really important thing. And then a part of our challenge with the establishment of that is, in the short term, is the education side of things. Mm. Because at the moment, the there's no like apart from us and a couple of universities internationally that we're working with now yep there's no real like from the ground up programs that equip you to practice as a sports nutritionist yeah so so if we go back to my example of like with the facility Mm. even though i had these staff that were sports scientists and they've done a four-year bachelor's degree yep that thing still only allows them to be a sports scientist and not a sports nutritionist. Okay. And they've got nutrition in their course, Mm. but their professional body who they would register with, which is SL within Australia, Exercise and Sports Science Australia, they don't allow any provision of nutrition service. There you go. Okay. So even though they're being taught about this stuff, they can't utilize it. And in my my opinion, and I would say like the opinion of the advisory board and those who review our educational curriculum, those programs don't teach them enough anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, like, like, like I would say, and, and the cool thing about with the, like the international body now is, is that um, we used to get questions with Australia and New Zealand, it'd be like, with New Zealand, it'd be like, are you NZQA, which is their qualifications framework, are you registered with them? Yep. Um, or AQF in Australia, and our answers at the time, when we were just Australia, we were looking at it, Yep. but it's really expensive, mm. and and that, like that shouldn't be a reason to dissuade anyone, but it's expensive for what you need to do to make, like in our opinion, make it really good. Which for us is like we want new research comes out, we want to we want to update our information that we're teaching people. Of course, based on that new research, yeah. submitting that to then get approved as a curriculum is very expensive. Right. Okay. So we ran the numbers and it was about two hundred thousand dollars a year to yep. send through about between five and eight updates. Yeah. Wow. And they may not be accepted. <laughs> so. When we when we went about the like international body, mm. we and we we're you know acquiring board members, right? So like Dr. Eric Helms, yep. Dr. Joe Klamjewski, um, Dr. Gabby Fondaro, Dr. Cliff Harvey, um, Lauren Conlon, like all these people, right? Yeah. That like specialize in sports nutrition. Hundred percent. And a lot of them, if not all, again, not registered as sports nutritionists until like we established the body and then set set up the registered offices in their countries so that they could. Yep. Um, you know, but they've done PhDs and stuff in that particular area, all of which are on the same page where it was like, right now the frameworks within the countries, because there's nothing for sports nutrition, doesn't support the fluid and agile and efficient 
application and updates to the curriculum that we need to do the best thing for our members. Gotcha. So what we do is we review it in-house, yep. send it off to the underwriters, the underwriters review our stuff, mm-hmm. We this and this is annually, and then we work together based on their claims history and based on where, where what research has been updated to how it's been reviewed to them, what we teach. Okay. Rather than allowing a bureaucratic or government process to say, no, you can, or or no, you can't, and yes, you can, yeah. only teach these things. Yes. Um, and the thing, especially uh, like when it's like global, is, is like New Zealand might have their sends and Australia might have theirs, and they may conflict one another. Right. And so the information itself may not even be getting through. It mm. might be government agendas in a in a like. In align with like like what the government's endorsing based on grain servings yeah, that yeah, they yeah. want to have in their country. So like to give an idea, like in New Zealand, from memory, they recommend eight servings of grains a day, whereas in Australia it's four. There you go. So like we couldn't even get unison and unified amalgamation oh, of, of, of those things. So no. it was it was a bit of a logistical nightmare, but it, like everything's worked out really well oh, on man. that basis. So yeah, basically it's accreditation, standardisation, and regulation first. Mm-hmm and then education second to then give them a framework. And so what we've got is we've got a certificate in applied sports nutrition that gives them the minimum subjects that we deem like, and, and that the insurers and uh, underwriters agree with are the minimum that someone would need to have to practice, right? And so they are, you have to have, and, it, and it's a combination between effectively two uni programs that you would see. One's an exercise physics program, another yep. one's a nutrition science or a health science nutrition program. So oh, yeah. You need the physiology to understand how the body works. Yes. You need to understand the basic health stuff. That's where your nutrition science or your health science nutrition or human nutrition comes in. Yep. But you also need to understand exercise physiology mm. and what happens when the body to those systems when the body starts exercising. Yeah. Because shit changes drastically. <laughs> yeah. Right? Absolutely. And so we've got all the ex-phys in there. Then we've got bioenergetics. We've got... Um, on the basis of bioenergetics, there's two components of that. There's a theoretical component and a practical component. Practical, yep. And as someone who's been through it, you know what it's like. It's like we can talk about it, yep. but until you experience it, yep. there's no way you can fundamentally understand just how different the physical demands are when you're in those places. Absolutely. It's 100%. like if you're if you're like 95% of a max or 100 or at your max RA, like. Life just feels different. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like now that different feeling. It's like well, that's that's primarily carbs. Yeah, so yeah. If you're saying your body needs carbs, you feel like that a lot more than otherwise. Hundred yeah, percent. And so we've we've got that component, and then there's the application of all that stuff mm. that you need to do, like in a, in a sports nutrition setting. So there's a lot of whilst there's a lot of quizzes that assess the theoretical. Um, competence, yep. then there's a lot of case study case application studies. from there. Yep. Yep. Um, and so that's, you know, demonstrating that you can apply it in different scenarios and different contexts. Absolutely. And, and that's really important. So when we, when I first started the program, of course, it was like, hey, here's how you pass these quizzes. Yeah. And this is what you need to know. And that's all I had. And like, you know, sorry to the guys doing it back then. Like you only, you know, you do as well as you can. And of course. Yeah. Like the, you know, but hey, they get annual updates. They get access to the annual updates anyway as a part of our, um, member continuing professional development anyway but um you know so it's continued to improve but that's what it was it was me in front of a whiteboard being like this is what you need to know gotta start somewhere whereas now it's like quizzes are valued so low and the case study application Mm. and the practical application is weighted at about 70 percent of the program yeah okay 
Um, and, and so we'll keep it there. So that's, yep. the, that's the first step is that certificate. Yep. And then we've got then pathways to postgraduate programs and university programs that you can get into. Yep. So AUT are the first, Auckland University of Technology are the first uni that we're linking in with for a grad dip to master's pathway directly. Okay. But um, like that, that they're doing this stuff, it's their grad dip. Um, whereas you can go through the IOPN or IOC um, and then there's a few unis like Roehampton, Ulster, it used to be Middlesex in Europe where you could then do a, do a post-grad dip with those private institutions and then go into those universities and do a master's through oh, them as well. Yeah, cool. And so for, from our end, we're just saying, look, at some point, like with our um, with our members and stuff, we're like, do you cert, work out if it's for you? Yep. And then down the track, go in and do some relevant study in the spectrum of those things. Mm. So that way you're at a level where it's like you know you you know that you really 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 know your shit yeah absolutely with that side of things like you're doubling down on your industry or, yep. or, or doubling down on your profession you're saying i'm burning both this one's for me um you know like i i want to i, I don't want to settle for some like minimum requirement Requir- yeah that goes yep um and look that's pretty much it like from from so i'd say like over the next like three to five like i said like establishing an awareness yep and establishing awareness of the profession is our challenge. And then over that period, you know, like people become aware the countries and regions will be doing our certs and stuff in. Yes. But like long-term, the goal with the education side of things is like to have more unis on board so we don't have to teach. Yeah, fair enough. So they, they can just do it. And then hopefully, like the good thing about the UK ones is like, and um, AUT and stuff, they're way cheaper than Aussie ones. Yeah, right. So, you know, like uh, I saw a while ago, a three-year undergrad on HEX, for an exercise science program is like $87,000. Wow. Like to me, I'm like, that is the worst business investment ever. <laughs> like I can't think of anything worse. Like if someone said to you, oh, give me 87,000 or give me 90 grand yeah. and I'm gonna go away for three years and then I'll come back and then I've got to be self-employed. Yeah. And chances are I'm not gonna be doing that yeah. nine to 12 months later. No, that's exactly right. And then I'm just gonna be in debt. You'd be like, you're crazy. But like, that's what we have with Right now, sort of like our undergrad programs is unis. Like, yeah. I'm not intending to shit on them. No, 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 no. It's just um, you know where it's at personally. You know, sort of. So what we're saying is, look, we've got a three and a half, four round program. Mm. Come in, try before you like. Well, it's not a try before you buy, but it sort of is. It's like come and get a taste for it. Yep. Spend three, four years working out if this is for you and working in it, because mm. that's about as much time as you need to sort of determine whether it is for you. Yes. Um, I know we were talking about this before, yeah. like um, in terms of like uh, people understanding where they need to be in the sequence in their lifetime within the career, and accepting like like for a good one to two years, you want to be taking some losses. Yeah, well, that's it. Not that's not it. like like emotionally, mentally, yeah. financially, physically, like that's part of it. So it come is. in, don't expect to make thousands of dollars a week. If you do, like from the get go, and if you do, you're an outlier. But if you're everyone else expect to take some losses yep. and learn some hard lessons and that's a part of it that is and embrace it and then um you know if it is for you and then you double down then spend another five to ten grand on a program from there that's 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 like a high level uni program yep but don't be but in total that's like ten or fifteen thousand yes and you've earned almost the whole time while you've been doing it exactly as yeah. opposed to spend 85 grand and then mm. work out it's not for you exactly. 85 grand in three years yeah all the dietitians out there, like my advice to every dietitian that talks to me, I'm like, the sooner you can enroll in this and work out if it's for you, the better. Yeah. Because their programs are even more. They are. Absolutely. Well, talk about that. Like someone's got a degree in, in dietetics or um, nutrition. Yeah. But 
it's a clinical yeah. approach, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so like, if you if you've got a degree, say health science nutrition, mm. your your insurance, like like it, this is a real funny one. Hey, um, this is a good question. No one's asked me about this on a podcast. <laughs> cool. No, man. seriously, yeah. this is really good. I'm I'm excited. Um, so basically, uh, typically what they'll come out and be able to do, mm. and what they encourage is. It's like you become a nutrition and public health promotions officer. Yes. Or you can work as like a food engineer. Yep. So you can help companies like create their menus and then do the nutrition labels and stuff with it. Okay. Or you're doing stuff where it's like you're going out to the communities and you're like, this is the promotion we're going to run with to get people healthier. Okay. But in terms of one-to-one weight management. Yep. Not good. No. Mm. No. Typically not. And we have a fair few members who have been a part of like, like they've been a part of uh, voluntary board members with certain, you know, health science nutrition boards. Sure. Um, you know, within the country and, and other countries, and they've seen behind the curtain. They're like, holy shit! It's like, <laughs> it's, it's scary. You yeah. Know? They're like they're not telling. They allow people to sort of operate under this premise. Yep. Um, that they didn't agree with, so they've you know come done the XDS components that they need to do within the program, and then register with us. So that way their practice and their their clinic with their client work is now covered at a better level. Absolutely. But um, yeah, like weight management isn't that good. Yep. um, And it's not really covered with them. Performance is definitely not. Mm. If we're looking at things like comps or weight cups for a fighter, like absolutely not. Yeah. Like absolutely not. So high level athletes, absolutely not. Um, It's completely out of there. Oh, but I would say, look, if you're you're any form of nutritionist, Mm. Registered nutritionist, accredited sports nutritionist. If you're just a nutrition coach, yep. 90% of your clients are weight management, right? 100% are. Absolutely. So, so for the health science registered guys, just understand that like if you're doing weight management mm. in a clinical setting, unless you've got some weird bespoke policy, it's not really covered. And even if you do, the way a claims process works is is that they'll say, you know, are you qualified? Like, are are you sat- like qualified to a satisfactory level? Yes, that 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 box will be ticked. You got to sure. agree. Yeah. I does the you know are you registered with a professional body that has standards for this thing? At that point, the answer is no. Right. So that's where they'll then attribute more responsibility to that person. And typically, how claims work with like negligence or professional indemnity is concerned. It's like parties are attributed a percentage of negligible responsibility. Gotcha. So then that percentage increases for that person, even okay. if they've done something wrong or not. Really wrong. Because they don't have that, mm. then it goes up. Um, and so dietitians, on the other hand, like typically. Dietitian would be someone who has a master's, mm. but now the DAA have sort of lowered the bar, and unis are bringing out these bachelors in dietetics. Yep. Um, which I think, to be honest, I'm like, look, I, I haven't done it, um, so this is my opinion, and you know, I, I take it with a grain of salt, or, or sure, or a fucking handful. <laughs> That's why you're here. Um, <laughs> But like, I think it still should be a master's. I liked that it was a master's because yep. it's sort of like um, an architect. Yep. You had to always have your master's and always to, you know, like, like um, to practice mm. in, in, in that professional capacity. And that scope for a dietitian, and especially looking at a lot of the subjects, there's a lot of oncology subjects now. So we're looking at like nutrition interventions with cancer. Yeah. Um, or like really like full on chronic disease. Yep. I think that's then a post-grad. It should be like a practical master. So I agree. Some unis and stuff are still offering that and they're saying that's the only way. Okay. But others have sort of lowered the bar and then the DAA are like, yeah, more members, sure. more money. Yep. Um, I, I, they haven't said that to me. Mm. Um, I don't want to shit on them, but 
that's how it appears. You know, like typically people aren't going to say no to more members because it equals more revenue and then you can have more impact. So yes. I get that. But um, look, I think the bar should be higher mm. given their nature and scope. Absolutely. Um, so when we look at like dietitians, typically they're clinically trained for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Can they do weight management? Yes. Are they being trained with the most up-to-date, contemporarily relevant, effective information at those programs? No. No. Okay. But if they're an accredited practicing sports dietitian... Because that's another level again, isn't it? That's another two to three years. Yeah. Then they're like the jack of all trades. Masters of all, effectively, yeah. as well. Like, they're, 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 they're the top of the top. Okay. So, I would put them on the level with the same level with sports. Or, may, uh, look, to my, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say, our members who go cert, grad, dip, mm. masters, yep. and, and, and then they do a published thesis in performance nutrition, yep. these guys will know more than an accredited practicing sports dietitian okay. than the average one. But it's because they've spent six years all in on sports. Yeah. They're not doing any form of clinical stuff. Yep. Um, that, that's my rationale for it. I could be completely wrong, mm. but yeah, like sports dietitians typically are the top of the top. Okay. So they can do it all. Mm. They pretty much mastered it all as well. And that's sort of where it all lies with that stuff. So yeah, again, sort of like coming back to if someone's studying dietetics, I'm not saying don't study it. Yeah. I'm like, dude, we want, like, if you, if you, if you did our cert and became a member, we would want you to do a degree anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Long term, right? That's the goal. Yep. So like, go do your dietetics degree. Do that. Just do the cert first. Mm and see if this industry is for you. Yes. See if this work is yep. for you, because if it's not, it's four grand and six months of your life, yep. or 12 months of your life, yep. as opposed to 90 to 100 grand yeah. and four, four to five years, years yeah. to work out that it's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> and have fun paying that hex off. They're yeah. gonna try and get a job somewhere. Yeah. You know, like, that, 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 that's miserable. Whereas on the flip side, if it is for you, mm. then you come out and you got clients as Absolutely. soon as you graduate. Of course. You're ahead of the pack. Mm. Um, you know, some stats for the dietitians out there is like, um, or the aspiring dietitians, and I don't want to dissuade everyone, I just want to give you the information so that way you can make the best inf- informed choice, right? Of course. Is that uh, 90, 95% of your cohorts are going to be female. Mm-hmm. Over 95% of the work, I think it's 98% in Queensland, is all private practice. Wow. There's very few employed jobs that you can go into. So you have to be good at the client management and client acquisition side of things. Right. And so that's coaching. Yeah. And that's like, you know, without sounding salesy, that's selling. It you is selling. To, you have to sell yourself. Yep. Then you have to sell your programs. Yeah. Good then, you have to sell, then you have to sell the programs and their consistency over the long term. Yep. And if you've been doing that for four years whilst you were studying it, yep. you've got four years that you're ahead of someone that's just done just, uh, or just uh, completed, yeah. just done eighty hours of clinical prac where they've never had to do the selling and selling the buy-in of the program there you go. because they're shadowing someone or they're they're oh here's your plan off you go and that person's already bought it. Mm. So they're working in a business that's established with people that will help support that, but they're not having to do that from the ground up. Yeah, right. So. There's a there's quite a significant turnover. We were talking about the turnover for PTs. Yeah, it's it's higher in diet dietetics, but they last a little bit longer. Okay. So instead of it being say six months and seventy percent, yep, or sixty percent, whatever the fitness one is, yeah, it's nine months and about eighty percent. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Far out. Crazy, man. Really? Yeah. So, a, like a goal of the bodies mm. long term. Um, I know I was saying this to you before, but if you know, just to put it out here, is that we're not going to be able to solve these problems 
for those industries. But if we can have members that are a part of both, say they're registered as a personal trainer in the fitness industry yep. as well as ours, yep. or they're a dietitian as well, our goal is that we have a, an average of four to five years with a 20% turnover. Yeah, absolutely. So like, like, and you know, we're never going to have the member number and volume that those industries will have in Australia. Yeah. Fitness industry, say 50,000 50, people. Mm. Um, in America, it's half a million. Yeah, well. We're never going to have those numbers. Nah. But if we have 5% of that, we know that our members are four to five years with 20% turnover. Yep. Then we will impact the industry long term. Absolutely. And that will ensure that the people who are coming and becoming credited sports nutritionists mm. are coming in for the long term for the right reasons. And then we will have impacted scale in decades' time. Big time. Yeah. Unreal. Um, all right, let's go back a step then. So, and, and I know this firsthand, a lot of personal trainers out there that don't have a relevant qualification nutrition will approach a nutritionist or a dietitian or someone with a degree to oversee their meal plans or write up their meal plans for their clients and things like that. Now that's obviously um, is conducive to high risk for the personal trainer as well as the nutritionist, I'm assuming. I know this happens a lot. If they get the dietitian to do it, then I'm like, like um, there's, there's a couple of colleagues um, who I shout out. So do you know, do you know Ryan Shaw? Ryan Shaw, he's PT, and he was at Anytime Fitness in Nogra. No, I don't think so. Um, I think it was Nogra. And so he works with Adam Holland, who's a dietitian. Yep, yep. Ryan would has never done anyone's food ever in his career. Okay. Only ever referred to Adam. Adam's a phenomenal dietitian. Okay. If they do that, yep. that's amazing. But if you're doing it to like a registered, like a clinical registered nutritionist, mm-hmm. and it's not an accredited, an APD, an accredited practicing dietitian, yep. yeah, you guys like, you guys are like that. That's 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 a bit of a grey area. The PT won't have too much risk associated with them because they've referred. Okay. So the responsibility would be more on that nutritionist, and the nutritionist unfortunately just won't be aware ninety percent of the time. Of course. Be, like again, they won't. They'll be like paying for membership, and they'll be like registration and yep. insurance. Yep. But they just won't look at their disclosure statement to say that hey, it's not going to work in a one-on-one clinical setting. There you go. Their insurance is mainly for promoting, you know. What like what are the government's pro- promos at the moment? Oh, oh I, I don't even know. There's so many. They're so bad. Okay, yeah. let me ask you this. Um, I know I've said it a few times. You'll probably answer this correctly, but do you know what our guides look like? The shape of our dietary guides nationally look like? No, <laughs> it's not a pyramid. It's a pie chart. Oh yes, yes, yes. yeah, yeah, right. Yes, our guides are good, but the government don't promote it. They put no spend behind no. it, it's, and it's like two thirds or. Just under two thirds, like sixty percent of it is actually just fruit and veg. Yeah. So everyone's like, it says eat white bread on the pyramid. It's like, oh, we haven't had the pyramid for like eight to ten years. <laughs> yeah. But that's why. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like they're good, but the government don't spend. So I remember like four years ago the whole thing was swapping. It's like, just be a swapper, like swap parking, you know, driving and parking to like catching the train and walking. Yeah. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, and they're trying to stimulate their like local public transport revenue with it as well. <laughs> it's not received well. But whatever those things are, that's what they're covered for. It's promoting that stuff. Yeah. It's not that it's not that one on one setting. So um, shout out to Adam and Ryan. Cool. They are like one of probably the only ones that I know who have been resolute in like in only following that. But yeah. I would say look the majority if, like if I were to, you know, give a I guess my sum up of what it'd be, it'd be like, oh referring to this nutritionist at this time. I started referring to this nutritionist because in the hope they'd refer back to me. Yeah. They didn't, I saw what they were giving, I can do that as well, so I started doing that in Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that's probably, I would say that's a story for like 80% of people. 100%. And I get it, it's like if you're not getting the referral back, yep. I, would, I wouldn't do it either. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, even even to the extent where a personal trainer does a diploma of nutrition, you know, right? Another another hole. Right. Yeah. Or like, there's all these random certs, and, and oh, there's so many that pop up in there. Yeah. So there's a cert four in nutrition, and then there's like cert threes and fours in nutrition and dietetic coaching. So they're like, I'm studying nutrition and dietetics and stuff. And it's like, well, unfortunately, it's not like it's it's not you know it's not an MS like not a master's in dietetics. It's not or it's not that yeah you know these bachelors in dietetics, but um or even these short courses that float around. Man, like yeah, Mackenzie and I call, yep. call he, he calls them hobby courses. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, it's like. It's not to say that they're bad. Yeah. It's just to say that, like, if we can just tell you, like, hey, we're, we at the association, we're not going to recognize them. Mm. We know that Nutrition Society of Australia and Nutrition Australia don't recognize them because yeah. even just to be, a, like, a, a public health promotions officer or a food um, engineer with, like, companies, yep. that's bachelor's minimum. Yep. And we know the DAA is not going to recognize them because that's bachelor's minimum for dietitians. They're, they're the three bodies in Australia. Mm. No one else is going to rec- like recognize it. There's now like people popping up saying, "Oh, well, you know, you're a um, nutrition coaching advisor or nutrition guidance or whatever," and they're trying yeah. to use like this innuendo terminology yeah. to, you know, imply that you can. And there's ways around it, but when you look at the product disclosure mm-hmm. of the insurance, or you look at the insurance, or you you look at the activities listed, it just says guidance around nutrition or, yep. or coaching around nutrition in line with um, you know government recommendations or government or national standards yep that's the same as a PT exactly that? yeah that's right so like if you're hearing this and you're like hey I'm looking at doing these things just understand that like for all of them I don't mean some I mean for all of the hobby ones yep doesn't matter if it's a diploma an advanced diploma certificate yeah um I don't, I don't know what they call it, whatever name they're going to give it to, yeah. you know, internship, mentorship, yep. um, trade. Statement like, 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 like if they're not with the associate, if they're not with Sports Nutrition Association, if yep. they're not with Nutrition Australia or Dietet- Diet- Dietitians Association of Australia, it doesn't exist. Yep. It's that simple. So Fair enough. Um, you know, for those people, it's like, look, we, we tell people weekly. Mm. Look, sorry, we don't recognise it, and, that, and and half of them are like, yeah, we know, like we heard it on this podcast, or we saw it on your website, or something like that. Yep. And if we can get the information to them sooner, so that way at least you just make an informed decision. Hey, do you want to go do clean health program, or do you want to go do uh, precision nutrition? Mm. They're good programs. Yeah. Just now you know the context in which you're doing it, so and then what you can do after you've done that. Absolutely. You know, is precision nutrition going to help you coach eating behaviours really well? Yeah, it is. Okay. We're not we're not gonna we're not gonna teach you that stuff. Yep. But it's not gonna help you with weight management, you're not you like really mm. you're not gonna understand bioenergetics, you're not gonna understand thermodynamics, you you're not gonna understand nutrition physiology, yeah, you're not gonna understand energy availability. Which are all very relevant like, to weight loss. <laughs> integral, right? Yeah. yeah. Person, like, Absolutely. You, you're a client that's training ten times a week, yeah. really, really intense work, that's a completely different energetic requirement kettle of fish than someone that's completely sedentary. So knowing how to amend that stuff, yes. you're not going to get that. Mm. Clean house program as well. Like, like I know that they've uh, adapted a lot and they're, they're focusing on, um, you know, including more evidence-based and evidence-informed, uh, like, like information in their curriculum. Yep. But again, it's just not going to, it just doesn't give you enough to be effective, mm. which is why with certain programs will credit it. So like um, MNU, Math Nutrition Uni, good program. 
bit of a jack of all trades. Like yep. it covers a lot of nutrition things, like a lot of health-based nutrition things as well. Yep. Chronic disease stuff as well. How to manage it, not treat it. Okay. Um, so we'll credit sort of 30, 30, 40% of the MNU program. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but there's the outliers of the stuff that hasn't been taught in the depth and in the detail that it needs to be so that we have to at least give them that so that way they're at that standard again so that way we've established that minimum standard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Very comprehensive. What else have I written down here for questions? Um, okay. So let, let's pick your brain for a moment. Let's go go on to like, you know, the, the overwhelming confusion of, of the variety of diets that are out there. We've touched on <laughs> yeah, this before. Yeah, yeah. You know, keto, carnivore, Atkins, low carb. I mean, it's, it, you know, um, what's the other one? Pescatarian, like, it just goes on and on, you know. And, <laughs> so and, many. Oh, there's so many. So, you know, and, and the uneducated will try them because they've seen Joe Blow on Instagram do it or, um, you know, they've been referred to it by a friend that lost mm. 10 kilos doing it. But, you know, let, 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 let's get go into that a little bit, but, you know, in, in terms of how individualized uh, uh, a diet needs to be for that person rather than just following something that they've read or seen or been referred to. Yeah. It's I, I know so this crazy. could go on for about an hour, but <laughs> <laughs> this is like a podcast in itself. Yeah, I think it might be. Um, yeah, I'll come back and we'll do a more thorough <laughs> one. But um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I would say like first and foremost, if there's an ethical reason first, then you yeah. just respect the ethical of reason. Course. Or if there's a health related reason, then it's like, cool, we're doing it for this reason. Yes. Health, ethics, done totally get it now we're into it now we're gonna you know personalize it to you Mm. but it doesn't mean that like the recommendation for that person based on the intervention then really changes that much yep from that point so like if they're like oh i'm you know i'm gonna be vegan or hey i can't have dairy because i'm lactose intolerant it's like cool protein target's still gonna be set yeah carbohydrate bandwidth's gonna be set fat recommendations gonna be set we want you to have x amount of fiber in your diet Mm. And really, you should be within this calorie range. Yep. Based on your goal and that yep. outcome. Yep. So, like, then, like you said, then it's like, you know, making it specific to the individual, right? Yep. So, it's like, my suggestion is the least we can change in their lifestyle, their day to day life. Absolutely. For, and this is for the average person, then the best. Like, the, yep. the, the, the least change we can make about it. Some people psychologically, though, need, in order to, like, be successful with it need an extreme shift yes yes they do and so that's like the coaching side of things mm. so it's like working out establishing who the client is and so i know for me right mm. if I, I i like an approach where i'm i nail it at an extreme level for two to three weeks okay and then i maintain yep at a more relaxed in a more relaxed yeah, level for about, for about then four to five weeks yeah okay and so you know, like I can be a little bit more aggressive with my, you know, if I'm dieting my deficit or yeah. my surplus. But that's your approach. Yeah. That might not work for the next person. But that's for me right now. Yeah. Right? And I think until they've developed a certain level of nutritional literacy, yep. they don't really get to choose. Mm. <laughs> that's that's sort of my yeah. rule, right? Oh, well, that's fair enough too. That's so, fair enough too. Yeah. So it's like, um, because with your literacy comes self-awareness. Absolutely. So then you're aware of the decisions that you're making and why you're making them. Conscious of it. Otherwise, it's just like we're just we're just you know we're being you know like we're being controlled and we're we're not in control. Yeah. So it's like if someone says to you, "Oh, I need it to be extreme. I need this." It's like, like, well, if your nutritional literacy is not good and you're not aware of like why you're making decisions under duress or anything like that, and you're just saying this is what you need, 
you're on autopilot, <laughs> being in control, telling me what you need, yeah. but it may not actually be what you need. So for me, it dep- like depending where someone's at, I'd say in the you know life cycle of a client, the first nine months, mm. I'm like if they get good results, that's great, but that's not a marker of success for me. Yep. Um, I don't work clinically like with clients, uh, you know, anymore. But if I were to, and what I would encourage the practitioners to do, if someone's like just starting with you, until they know what's in food, until they know like the nutritional makeup and composition of it, yep. And then until they know how it feels to be tired, hungry, thirsty, yep. What all those things feel like separate of one another, what it feels like to be overreaching and training. Absolutely. What it feels like to be overreaching and training whilst in a deficit, yeah, whilst adhering. 100%. It, you know, versus how it feels to be in a surplus and overreaching. Yes. Good then point. I'm not, I'm like, I'm like, like if they're losing weight, I'm like, great, but I feel way more success as a practitioner yeah. if I think about if they, if they've established that self-awareness. 100%. Cause then it's like, I know that I can tweak anything and we can talk and we're going to talk from a place of like really high awareness and high compliance. Yep. Like, those, like once you're there, those people are so much easier. Oh, of course they are. It's 100%. Like, it's like, it's like, you'll be like, oh, look, I think, you know, tracking at this point, you just got way too much on. Let's just get you on a meal plan. Yeah. And you know that they're going on a meal plan and they're going to follow it. Yep. And then when the time comes that their lifestyle is going to enable them to track and step away from it, then they're going to do so. Like there's no, there's very little points that we're going to make an intervention and it's going to contribute to a disorder. Yeah. Because they're going to overcompensate in that or mm. like, you know, develop a crutch in that place. Mm. They're aware and they're just doing it for the purpose at that point in time. Yep. So, you know, like, I don't know about you, but like I personally, I've said this for probably the last couple of years, like overreaching in a surplus is way worse than overreaching in a deficit. Mm. Like I, I hate being full. <laughs> and then training while full. Yeah. And then like 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 for me, nu- nutrient timing is way more important like that because I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel sick and like shit all day because you get so lethargic from being full. Yep. And then it's like, so then you'll include some lower volume foods mm. and then go away from that. But then you're training hard. So if you're not having that low volume food at the right time, your blood sugar can drop and go over the place and then you fuck your workout. Yep. But if you have too much high volume food around training, you fall lethargic and you're vomiting it. You're vomiting, yeah. And then you're losing, and then you're losing the nutrients. Yeah. So, like for me, that's I hate that place. Yeah. So I would take before I get into a deficit, mm. I sort of always think uh, I'd be like, oh, I might get hungry, or day four in the deficits where I feel it the most, or something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'll get ready for it. But then I always think back to oh, remember what it's like in surplus life, and I'm like, oh yeah, thank God I'm not there. Yeah, All right, yeah. let's do this. You know? <laughs> I love it. So, look, for me, it's like, I don't think, you know, like, I, I don't think a diet, a particular diet for a particular person is, you know, there, there's there's the one optimal one or anything like that. No. Like, I look at it and go, like, what's the bioenergetic environment of the mm-hmm. person? So, like, what's their, what, what, what's fueling their day-to-day life? What's What are the goals that they want to focus on improving? Yep. What fuels that? Mm. And then I just give them that. Yep. So, it's like, if you're training really, really hard, balls to the wall, you need more carbs. There you go. Well, that's it. Like people don't like change. I know you mentioned that there's the extreme ones, but a large population of the general population yeah. don't like change. No, you know, they where they are in life because they've made no change. They want to eat out. Yeah, to lunch. Right? Yeah, they want to have a beer on the weekend or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we've got to give them a program where they can have that beer. Yeah. We can moderate that beer. We can make them aware of yeah. that beer, but they're still having that beer. That's right. Because there's. 
social, emotional, mm. and these other sti- like you know forms of stimulation yep. and forms of nourishment that they're getting with the nutritional nourishment. Hundred percent. Um, you know, it's like it's like they want to eat out at lunch, like 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 just grab lunch on the go. Yeah. So don't tell them to prep. Yeah. Or or, or don't be like, hey, it's just two minutes of your day. Tracking is so easy because it comes easy to us. Yes. It's like learning to track, honestly, in my opinion, it's, it's fucking hard. Like, it's like learning a language. Tracks. Yeah, it is. Yeah, big talk. Yeah. It's learning a language, right? Yeah. And it's like, we're, we're just the people who are naturally prepared to do it yeah. in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. But what's something that we don't like learning? Like, what's that language that we've avoided? Or, you know, where's that area of responsibility that, you know, we've been we've been avoiding in our life? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it finance? Is it is it like keeping things clean? Is mm-hmm. it keeping on top of your studies? Is it going back in to study that program that you should have been doing? Whatever that thing is, for us fitness professionals, people in this field, uh, that's how we need to approach it with them. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what people sort of aren't doing. And then they say things in an antagonistic sort of like backhanded way where it's like, oh, it's so easy. Imagine like Michael Phelps talking to someone... <laughs> Who's, who's like never swam before, uh, they're petrified of water, and he's like, ah, butterfly and the medley is so easy. Like, what are you talking about, you win? <laughs> but that's what we're doing that's in the industry. very right? relevant, yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. So I would say it's like, hey, you know, like just, if we can be a little bit more empathetic, it'd be good. Yep. Um, and, you know, like, and it's just, the programming needs to be individualized. And I think we focus so much on, again, like if I go back to the 90% is just weight management. People want weight loss. They always feel like they could lose more weight. Yes. We focus on calorie deficit. Yep. I would like to have more emphasis on, uh, like, rather than what goes in to create that. Yep. How much contributes to what goes out? Yeah. Okay. That makes what goes in unique. Yep. And personalized. We always say it's it, it, it's in versus out, right? Yeah, yeah. But we don't talk about how much out fluctuates and what influences out. Absolutely. And that's what makes it hard. So yeah. the role of the sports nutritionist is going. This is your lifestyle. Okay, how much variation is going on here? Yeah. Where can we ma- where where can we make that an average, and where how can we control that to keep it relatively consistent? Yes, absolutely. And then and then it's balancing those two scales, right? Because yep. in is pretty easy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like even if people are like you know they do the trend of um you know Monday to Thursday they're good, and then Friday through to Sunday Arvo they're shit. Yeah. We still know we're like oh yeah Friday night is fifteen hundred calories. We still yeah. know get an average. That Saturday and Sunday are three and a half thousand each. Yeah. We can average that out over the week. Yep. But what happens if they're varying 15,000 steps a day? Yeah. And what happens if they just don't train? 100%. 100%. For a week. I'm going to yeah, use an example, and I don't think my mother-in-law listens to this, but she used to work at, um, at Woolworths. So an average step day for her was 30-something thousand. Right. And then on a day off, it had averaged about six. <laughs> there you go, man. Look at the discrepancy. It's massive. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of, I would say, it's not to say that we need to focus on controlling that. Yeah. It's just to say we need to put emphasis into what output is and what how, how it can vary. Yeah. So that way we, again, like we, we're saying, be more aware of what you're putting in your mouth. Mm. Be aware of what you're doing and how that influences it as well. Absolutely. Because we know that as... You know, as you're in more of a severe deficit, your food focus increases, right? Yeah, it does. It does. So if you've got days that you're doing 35,000 steps a day, uh, but you're only eating 1,200 calories, uh, and you've got three or four of those days in the week, you might increase your food focus and your hunger cues might increase exponentially because that 
you know, 1300 calorie diet yeah. that you saw on the internet that that celebrity was doing <laughs> just isn't going to work for you because you don't have their lifestyle. No, that's exactly right. So it's, it's not individualized to you, the person. So it's like understanding that like input should be personalized mm-hmm. based on output. Yep. And just because Chris Hemsworth does it or because Sonny Bill Williams does it mm-hmm. or because, you know, Bella Hadid or, you know, Courtney, Courtney um, Kardashian or whoever it is that you're following, yeah. just because these people, are, this is their input, doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. And it may not be because of your biology or physiology. It might just be because of your output. Yeah, 100%. Like, like those people's output are completely different. Then their genetics are different as well. Yes, of course. But like we're all humans yeah. and I'd like to see a little bit more of a light being shown on output and like at least just understanding that it varies a lot. Like if we, if we, you know, if we have three hours less sleep, mm-hmm. we're less likely to exercise yep. and then our exercise isn't going to be as good and our risk of injury is high. And if we're injured, then we're not going to okay. do this kind yep. of stuff. We're not going to move as much or any of that effect. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's that domino effect, right? Yeah. So it's like, let's talk about, you know, like let's look at our lifestyle in terms of steps. Let's yep. look at our lifestyle in terms of like training output, mm-hmm. and then let's look at our lifestyle in terms of like nutrition and social environments and how that impacts our output as well, right? So if you do get on the piss and you have a bender for three days, yep. how likely are you to train? Yeah, most likely, right? <laughs> That's true. No, it's very true. It's a good point. And so, funnily enough, Gary Slater, Dr. Gary Slater, yep. who's a uh, lecturer up here and researcher at the University of Sunshine Coast, yep said to me when I was submitting my research proposal for the masters that I was going to go into that I didn't, I didn't I'm, not, I, I'm not going to go into mm. and then I got offered it to then be a PhD because it was like way too big he was like I know like you're so into nutrition and metabolism but he was like honestly mate like exercise just it's the king yeah like it has just such a great impact on things right like right. We, we know like from a pre- preventative factor we know uh, you know from a uh, like an output factor, all this kind of stuff, it's just better. And this is like one of the one of the original sports dietitians in the country saying this, right? Like yep. exercise is king. And I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like it's all about the food. Like how can this guy be saying it? Like there's, there's a little bit of this little voice in me, of like, course, saying this at the time. But it was it was the necessary truth that I needed to hear at the time, right? Yep. To understand, it's like we can say, hey, just eat less because. That workout is only 200 calories, which is like, I don't know, a Freddo Frog or something like that, which sure. is like butter all food. But it's also an hour that you're not eating. Mm. And it's also probably half an hour beforehand that you're not going to eat and probably an hour after that you're not going to eat as, as dense a calorie meal yep. because you'll just feel sick. Yep. So that's two, two to two and a half hours a day that you, your food focus reduces mm. and the, food, the focus then becomes the activity. Yep. And then there's all the positives associated with that activity. Of course. So, I yeah, I, I think like if we can if we can go back in that direction, that'd be pretty cool. That's unreal. Yeah. Um, you raised a good segue before talking about like Chris Hemsworth and Kourtney Kardashian. Oh and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebs. Yeah, celebs. So, yeah, so I, and I talked to you about this before we started. Um, and you've obviously seen it, the Shannon Ponson video about yes. 1,200 calories. So I thought I'd get your opinion. Oh yeah, I used the 1,300 calorie example. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of segues really well. So you know that 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 created a, obviously a big shitstorm on social media about people commenting and you know the, mm. the, the all that cult bashing, whatever. But you know, in terms of like obviously he's a very experienced personal trainer. He's been on the biggest loser, all that stuff. But it's a very common um, ideology that 1,200 calories is sort of the, the thing people need to do. Magic to eat. Still yeah, it seems yeah. to be, doesn't it? I, I don't know why. It's um, crazy, hey. But it's not a lot of food at the end of the day, is it? You know, and, and for someone that 
it, like we just talked about, someone that might be a tradesperson that's highly active throughout the week, 1,200 calories, man, they're going to be starving. No, no. It's, um, I, I have a few thoughts on this, right? So, yeah, yeah like, I think any... I think any diet where it has an absolute approach mm. is just never a good thing. No. And I honestly think like, 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 you know, diet or they're like, oh, we need to get rid of the load, whatever it is. If it's your diet or if it's your nutrition, I don't care what word you use. Yeah. I would just attach a fluid, uh, I would attach like, a, like, a, like a, if you, if you attach any meaning to it, it's that it's fluid. Right. It's flexible. Yep. The only things that really, the absolutes that should be included really is like plants, a little bit of protein, yeah. and water. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Like, it, like they're the absolutes. Yeah. And then everything else from that point is fluid. And even those things are fluid, it's just that they're the absolute inclusions. Yep. Um, you know, so I think like as soon as you put a number, it doesn't matter what number it is, yeah. the numbers are arbitrary. So if I said to you 4,000 calories, yeah. You'd be like, well, that's too high. But for some, but for some people, it may not be enough. Like yeah. Michael Phelps when he was swimming, it's not enough for him. No, of course not. What was he on? Like sixteen thousand? Oh, something? some ridiculous. And then I thought, like ten. I know that. I think they worked it out, and it was actually like twelve thousand. But the claim was he was eating sixteen thousand calories a day. So four thousand, we're gonna be like, that's gonna make everyone fat. Well, for him, he probably would have lost weight and then lost performance. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. So, like, not not good. So anytime that we use anything absolute. It's bad. So 1,200, typically, we're going to say it's low. Mm. But for someone that's four foot eight, yep. and they're not very active, mm -hmm. they do 2,000 steps a day, yep. they don't exercise at all, yep. that might be too high. Yeah, true. So it just depends on the person. So I think like I think anything that's a fixed number like that is never good. But if we're saying 1,200 calories for the average person, it's probably a little bit low. Yeah. But if you've got a low level of nutritional literacy, mm. you don't understand what's in food, you don't understand how to prioritize like highly satiating low calorie food. Yes. Then having a thing, a rule in place where you say 1200 calories, no more, but you have to learn, but you're eating all these foods. Yeah. It could be useful for learning what's actually in food. Absolutely. So that way you can make decisions that teach you to include foods that are low in calories and high. It a market, doesn't it? A yeah. benchmark, yeah. High, high in um, satisfaction. So that way you're feeling full. Yep. So I think it could be good in that way. I, and I think as a starting point, it's not the end of the world, right? Yeah. Provided there's like a system of education to bring you out and yes. transition to. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I, look, I saw Shannon's videos um, talking about the stuff. I saw like the foods that he recommends. It all ticks the boxes as far as like protein, plants, fiber, whole foods, yep. including dairy, including grains, not eliminating things. Um, uh, you know, a colleague of mine, Mac, you know, he did a video on it. He said it's like it's not that bad, but it doesn't consider energy requirements. No, that's where it loses a lot because again, if you're a labourer, yeah, if you're a brickie, you might output six thousand cows a day. Yeah, big time. You're not going to be on twelve hundred cows for long. No, doesn't no. matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> no way. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how overweight you are. Um, you know, the thing. I guess my next thought on it was we like. I, and the thing that I would like to sort of challenge the most with this is, is like whilst energy availability and energy needs really matter, mm. his market is primarily overweight people. He's the biggest loser coach, right? Yeah, of course. Sedentary, overweight people that eat highly palatable, nutrient-dense foods with refined food sources. So yep. we're talking huge amounts of sodium, yep. huge amounts of processed fat, yep. huge amounts of processed sugar mm. to make it highly palatable. Yep. 
and like you know putting on my evolutionary biologist hat it's like cool our bodies go why would i go for this you know vegetables and grains and protein meal mm. when you know that's 600 grams when i could have this 100 gram thing that's got you know a shitload of calories and kilojoules in it it's not the ideal ratio yep but it's a hundred grams and I don't have to work as hard to digest it. Mm. Our brains recognize that, remember what's in it, and then we go for that because it's more efficient in the short term. Absolutely. So he works with people who are sedentary, they go for that, and they're significantly overweight. So, you know, are they going to be super active people? No. Probably not. No. And so I think that sort of segues to something that I really want to focus on is like, I want to... Personally, if I can impact within the you know standardization and establishment of the sports nutrition profession, yep. that we move away from call-out culture. Yeah. Because you know, whilst it was surprising to see this person, or like, and as I said out loud, I'm like, it's not fucking surprising, right? Some fitness celebrity mm. whose market is overweight people is talking about some diet thing. That's not that bad. It's, yeah. Like it's not great, but it's not that bad. Yeah. But as a community, we, you know, the fitness professionals and sports nutrition professionals and nutritional professionals, and I saw a fair few accredited sports nutritionists and our members calling them out. I saw a lot of accredited practicing dietitians as well, which is like, in my opinion, worse because it's like you guys see yourselves above everyone yeah, at this right. point in time. Yeah. And you should not be interacting like that. Like you should be the change that you want to see. Yeah. And this is why I'm sort of taking the time to sort of address this because it's important to me. I want to get away from call out culture. Like how is that person going to learn to do anything better or that there is a better or that they should be considering these things mm. if it comes from a place of like public humiliation? Absolutely. Good point. Right? They're not. No, no, they're not. No way. Um, you like and like I say, I've been guilty of it in, my, in the past myself. Don't for a second think that like I'm fucking casting stones, you know, like without, mm. you know, like 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 not having done stuff myself. Yeah. Like I've done it. I have a post from probably like two and a half years ago um, on my on my Aussie Sports Nutritionist Instagram account, and it's where uh, many people, some people might know him, some people may not. Where um, Coach Mark Carroll, pretty famous coach, is talking about dieting. And he's got this client in like a 30% deficit and he's talking about periods of higher and lower, but it's all good. We'll just have a diet break. And you know me, like I've loved diet breaks since Matador came out in 2014 or 2015, something like that. Like yep. I'm like, fuck yeah, diet breaks are amazing. We need to be incorporating these. Like yep. apart before Jackson was the diet break guy mm. and he's like the ice cap guy, I was like team diet break. Right. But two and a half years ago, I'm like, diet breaks are not magic and we should not be acting like if we diet someone hard and they're adherent for 10 weeks, yep. that one week of a diet break is going to help fix any adaptive thermogenesis and help their metabolism. Mm. And the research now that's coming out that Jackson's done as well is like, it, it supports it. It's like diet breaks do not really fix metabolism. Okay. Not like what we think about, yep. but they help us in terms of management of hunger hormones and, and perception of hunger. Absolutely. Which helps our adherence. Yep. Some people, though, like they're just going to overeat if they're not experienced with it either. So yeah. you got to know that. But like, I have this post, and I'll keep it there as as a reminder yeah. that I could have done better. Okay. And so um, while I didn't name names, while I didn't call them out, I, it was still done in like a way where it's like I, I want to draw attention to this. Yep. But I could have done it better. And like, I guess my ways of doing it better would be 
you know, messaging the guy. Yeah. First okay. and foremost, and be like, hey, bro, um, just saw this, like, great work, you know, you're doing really good things. And, like, he is. Like, the guy's following was good at the time. It's just kept growing. Yep. Um, and it was like, hey, bro, you're doing really good things. Uh, I saw this. Don't necessarily agree with it. What do you know about it? Yeah. And just start engaging in conversation to then potentially help them, right? And so, from there, he either goes, you know, yay or nay, thanks for the stuff. Hey, like, you know, check this research out. Let me know what you think. Comes back and says, hey, yeah, I think this. Like, I agree with you. Yeah. And then, okay, great. Or I disagree with you. If they agree, it's like, cool. Um, how about posting a comment and maybe give me a shout out and say, hey, Alex brought this to my attention. Yeah. I didn't consider this stuff. Yeah. Just want to amend the post and say, this is probably a better way of doing things. Yeah, okay. And I think collaboration... Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like talk behind the scenes. Mm. Don't shine light on it straight away and make it bad. Yep. To then collaborate, to then show that you can collaborate. So like then shouting out the person who brings it to your attention because at the end of the day, your intention is never to be like, I'm the smartest person right now or for like 99 out of 100 people. It's no. not like I'm the smartest person now. No. So if someone would point out something that I've done wrong, mm. I'd be like, fuck yeah, you get the limelight, man. Like, And you just made my life easier because yeah. I tell you what, me putting something out there right now is out there for everyone to shit on. Absolutely. And so the longer that I'm incorrect for mm. is the more like damage I could be doing, right? Yeah. So if someone lets me know within a month or within a week or a day, I'm going to shout them out straight away, get it get it fixed and then go from there. 100%. And so I would say in the last like year or two, that's what I've done. So like people tag me and stuff and I'll like, and then I'll, I might comment every now and then have, be a little smart ass or something like that. It might be like, oh, is this in line with this research or something like that? And then send them some paper links and then be like, and then do like a cheeky, like winky face or something like that. Um, and then hope that they read the research, right? Mm. And then I'll message and be like, Hey, did you check out the research or anything like that? And then see what happens. Half the time it's well, it's taken on well. And they'll be like, yeah, sweet. I didn't know that. Thanks. And then the other half of times it's just like, you know, they're dogmatic in their beliefs. Um, but, you know, since the inception of the advisory board, it's really funny because there's people that they look up to in each subject area. Of course. That typically are like one of the board members. Yeah, right. And then they'll tag the board member and then the board member will be like, yeah, um, you should check out the lecture that we did on this for the association, <laughs> covering this to the person. There you go. Because it will like, it would help them with their dogmatic approach yeah. to understand that like it's fluid. And so, you know, instances where it's come up where there's been sort of resistance recently would be like low carb approaches mm. or something like that. And so they'll tag, tag, they'll tag like Cliff Harvey, who's a low carb researcher. Yep. But he talks about a carbohydrate appropriate approach. Mm. And so, you know, for the majority of the gen pop who are sedentary, a high carb diet probably isn't going to be that good for them. Or going low in carbohydrate would actually help them with their health short and long term. Yep. Like lower than what they would eat, again, because they're not aware. Of course. Because they don't track food. So yep. it's like, yeah, you're having 300 grams of carbs a day, but guess what? Like your energetic and lifestyle needs probably only need 180. Yeah. So, you know, like they're not aware of that. So they think, oh, I've got to go low carb. And for him, he's like, I don't want you to think low carb. I want you to think just carb appropriate for your lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, and as your lifestyle changes, so too do your needs. Evolves. And so, yeah, it, it, it's funny. So like Cliff was tagging, he was like, yeah, um, watch the lecture, please, because it, it'd be really good. It'd help you benefit, um, you know, because there, because because this stuff is important, um, you know, and like athletes, on the higher end of the energetic requirements, definitely should not be being told this information. There you go. And, so, and that's the thing. That's that's the thing. Like that we run into is mm-hmm. like there's always you know people 
I don't like it as a context. There's always nuance, there's always context. Yeah. Um, and you always hear that as a bit of a statement. It's true. Mm. But if we put out information, it'd be great if we could just talk about the context in which it's probably most relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say to like wrap wrap up that point or my thought on, thoughts on that is, is like whilst as shitty as 1200 cows might sound, mm. if we as an industry, the sports nutrition industry at least, because the one that I can at least have the most impact and um, responsibility for, yep. if we can approach things in a more constructive, collaborative and positive manner, mm. rather than this call out culture bullshit and not yep. partake in this, yep. you won't see like if any of our members, and this is something we're gonna be auditing for the next year's continuing professional development, mm. If people are partaking call out culture, we're going to have a two strike policy. Wow. Okay. That's it. Fair enough. Because like we just won't stand for it. Like yep. this is something we were speaking about within the advisory board, and it's just what was, we don't want to see that stuff. Um, certain professionals, you know, like like and, and and it's hard because it's glorified. Like people like Martin McDonald, people like Lane Norton, they're out there, and you get followers and you get notoriety quickly. But you get notoriety for being the negative person, for being the bully, and they'll say things like oh, I'm not bullying, I'm just standing up for the smaller people and stuff, and they'll just do it to like become even more self-righteous. But if you need to call someone out in a public manner mm. in those ways before you can talk to them and try and help them, yeah. then like you are being a bully. Yeah. And that's the stuff that we don't want to see. Yep. You know, like it, like it, like the domino effect of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like we're fixing the industry in the short term, we're getting the right information out, but it's like, you know, a lot of people don't know this and like I feel a bit uncomfortable talking about it, but Martin McDonald like created a site for like nutrition quacks and honest or something years ago, right? Yep. And basically like was like naming and shaming people who were like for lack of a better word, just competitors of his. Okay. And a guy ended up committing suicide. Wow. Yeah, right. And it's like like a few coaches and like yeah, like you I think it was like Poliquin affiliated or something like this. And a few coaches in America still like bring up there, like it was like really fucked up what happened, and one of the reasons was that now Martin takes it like really personally, and like you know since come out um, and sort of like avoids it, it like and it's a bit taboo, but like these are the things, yeah, like these are the domino, this is the domino effect that like people we don't talk about, but yeah. like these are things that people need to be considering. It's like you know like you can tarnish people's reputation, oh, profession, absolutely. the emotional ramifications, yeah, yeah, yeah. like. Yeah. There's a there's a lot that goes on, mm. um, you know. So with Shannon and stuff from 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 me to our members and stuff, like guys, don't don't waste your time. Yeah. Like, say it in a positive way. Put a positive spin on it. Yep. Congratulate the positives that are there mm. and encourage the gaps and where they can then improve upon. You know, from that point. Yep. And then if you want to message them privately, see if they know it, and then you know, be, again, be positive and encouraging from that point. Good point. Very good point. All right, well, let's put a positive spin on this now. <laughs> What's, um, all right, let's go, let's look into the future, okay? Yeah. Five years from now, how, what does the health and fitness industry look like from your perspective? I think it looks much the same, hey? You reckon? Yeah. You reckon there's too much change? No, I think, like, look, tech's going to continue to disrupt. It'll always do. Yep. Um, it's going to innovate as it does. I, I'm just focused on us running our race. You know, I think yep. fitness is going to be the same. I think, you know, online coaching will become more prevalent. Yes. But I think a, a massive shift has already occurred mm. in that manner. Yeah. Just due to COVID. Absolutely. It just prompted it to happen earlier. 
but I don't think like there's going to be trends that are going to come through. Mm. They, you know, they're gonna, that are going to be the trend for the next six to nine months, and yep. then everyone will be on that. Yep. And then, um, you know, uh, and, then, and then we'll be on to the next one. Yeah. From there, so I think that'll that'll happen. When I when I say the same, what I mean from that is at an objective level, I think the member bases are probably going to stay within twenty percent of where they are for the yep. for the established professions. So when we're talking personal trainers, and if we're talking like dietitians yep. and sports science stuff, it's gonna it's gonna stay the same, um, and within twenty percent. And then I think the attrition rate is gonna be the same within those industries. Mm. Within five years for us, um, yeah, our member base is gonna grow, and I, I'm really just focused on our stuff. You yeah. Know? Okay. Um, yeah, and running our race. I, it's funny this year alone, I've said like. You know, I just want to run my race and I want to work with people who enable me to run my race at my speed and yep. don't slow me down is, okay. it, it, it is sort of my biggest thing with this year. So like with the people that I work with, so that's from a staff recruitment perspective to yep. a um, joint venture, like collaborate, business collaboration perspective and stuff. Yep. Everyone's real focused, like they sort of see it now and they see the momentum, they want to be a part of it. Yep. And for me now, it's like, okay, you see it. Mm. But are you really ready to, you know, meet us at our level and meet us where we're at? Yeah. Um, you know that that, that the, so I'd rather have harder conversations with people earlier now mm. about what that looks like uh, to us, you know, to establish whether or not they can, on, you know, not, and then from that point, then we are, then we're running the race, and then, you know, we're doing our thing, and then they're with us. Absolutely. Um, so like for us, it would be more members. Yeah, like by the end of the year, we'll be in all the regions that we're going to be at. Yep. Within. 12 months will be at our capacity with how many people we can handle globally okay. at an intake level. And hopefully within six months, but you know, being more realistic up to 12 months, we're actually going to implement an, an application process for our intakes. Okay. And it's not going to be one of these things where it's like a, some salesy application mm. bullshit. Oh, I've got to check, make sure that you fit the criteria and stuff. Yeah. Our criteria will be really like, it'll be really transparent. It's like, I like, you know, We'll, we'll do a brief social media check for people because we want to make sure that they're not partaking in call-out culture and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're going to make sure that they're not selling things and like doing sell-out things, right? Like mm. pushing this pyramid scheme and doing that thing. So those are the types of things. We, we want to make sure that we're quizzing them on our codes of conduct and practicing standards from the get-go. Okay. Make sure they're aware of continuing professional development. Absolutely. And so, and, and that they're going to be good students and understand the student uh, assessor relationship from the get-go, uh, you know, to make it easier on the assessors because that helps us, uh, like, educate more people. But yeah. at the same time, what we get at the moment is, and it's not with everyone, but it's this sort of, like, um, the customer is always right mentality. Yeah. Where it's sort of, like, aggressor, victim, customer is always right. And it's like, that is not the dynamic at all. No. Like, you are a student being assessed. Yeah. That customer is always right mentality. does <laughs> not exist when we are assessing you. So that, that, that's what we'll be pre-qualifying or okay. assessing with the applications. And then the people that don't suit that criteria, mm. yeah, it's like, it's not good, like, we just won't take them on at that point in time. It's not to say that they can't come yep. at some point. It just means at that point in time, we need to see some changes. Um, so like, that's what we're focused on mm. from our end. In terms of the industry on the whole, we were talking about this mm. and like in terms of your model, Yep. And so I'm going to flip this on you. Okay. So you can. I'm going to ask you questions. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to, no, because you're a really good example of this, right? Okay. So um, your ratio of face to face and online clients yeah. 
is about what? It's about 60-40 on 60 online. online. Yeah. Yeah. And you do how many sessions face-to-face a week? Uh, without checking, 30 to 35, somewhere around then. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And if I, how, how, like, if I said you're going to be doing that for the next 10 years, mm. how do you feel at that workload? I'd be very content. Hell yeah, right? Yeah. But if I said to you, you're doing 60 sessions face-to-face a week for the next 10 years. Oh, dude. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I've been there and done it. No. And so, you would, you're, you're embodying right now what I would call the optimal blended model. Yeah. Okay. And so, it's that 60-40 online face-to-face. Mm. Um, and I think you're a really good example. And this was like, we were just chatting yeah. and it came out. So yeah. it wasn't like a plan where I was no, like, no, no, no. Paul's this amazing like, <laughs> person, but from the business model perspective, yeah. online face-to-face, you've got that. Now, in order to do online effectively, can you do it without nutrition? Oh, uh, very unlikely. No. Yeah, and like, what would you need to do to add? Like to add online without nutrition, you'd probably need to do fucking training videos. Like there'd be so much more. There would be a lot of work. Yeah. 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 Way more involved. Yep. Probably triple the amount of time, mm. which then means your sixty forty revenue split. Yeah. Ends up being like like if I said you have to, for that sixty percent you got to work three times more. Yeah. And I said you're doing that now for the next ten years is that sustainable? No, you, you no, think, it's not. No, you, no, like so for me, I think like if we go five years in the future. Yeah. If we have members like yourself and the industry has more people who have successfully done this transition, yep. I think that'd be like a really awesome thing. Where, where it's that 60-40 split, you're in that sweet spot. Yep. Um, if I, if, uh, so out of curiosity as well, we were talking about this before, but mm. for, for anyone listening, you'd already achieved that split before COVID. Yes. Yes. Which is super fortunate. And very, very fortunate, yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people do our program with the intention to going into that split. Okay. How long was the transition for you to get over to that 60-40? I would say, I'm six years in now. Um, I would say probably three, three to four. Took yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. When did you, so you were three to four years in when you made that transition. Yeah. How, how when did you make the decision to make that transition? Two years in? Oh, yeah. Probably even 18 months. Like, I, I, I Wanted to have an online presence. Yeah. yeah. That that was always an initiative of mine. Absolutely. And it just grew. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So, like, it takes about two years to fully transition. Big time. Yeah. You, you could probably transition in a year, but you'd have to be really fucking diligent. Oh, you? big time. More, like, more like, focus on social media, analytics. Like, yeah. Yeah. Big yeah. time. How much... Okay, so how, how many followers do you reckon, or like, with social media... Yeah. People would, if like, if we say to any, like, any, like, potential student or aspiring coach or anything like that, mm. when you say social media, what would that look like? To say, for someone doing, who's got 30, 35 sessions a week, yeah. 40% is face-to-face, then the rest is online. Yep. How, like, like, what does social media look like in order for that to, like, you know, tick over and just be self-sustaining? Yeah. Oh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I, I still think you've got to be present. You've got to provide good quality content. Yeah. Um, that's why I started these podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 you can't just put out stuff for the sake of putting out stuff. Yeah. It needs to be relevant to what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and it needs to be relevant to the audience that you are attracting. Yeah. So that that 
I, I always make sure that I ask that question before I post anything, whether I'm resharing something or, or it's an original content. Yeah. I think that's important, yeah. Yeah, is it helpful to your clients? Yeah, or absolutely. Or your target clients, right? 100%. I think people make the mistake, I don't know I don't know if you agree with this, but I think people make the mistake if they're thinking about starting off a career, mm. that they're like, I need thousands of followers and shit. No. No. And it's like, if you think about it, like you just do the math, like, you, you know, it's pretty, it's like, like it's pretty reasonable to just get to a few hundred. Yeah. Because you can only work with a few amount. Well, I was going to say, that's more than enough, you know, if they're all <laughs> active clients. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And then if you're doing well, yeah. then one in five clients within three to six months will refer you a client. Exactly. That's and, right. that, and that's the best kind of the best new business anyway. New right? business model, 100%. So if you get to the point where, like, again, I think with the blended model, mm. with face-to-face and online, you can work with more people and help more people. Absolutely. Probably like twice the amount of people yeah. and feel half as much fatigue as yeah. if you were doing 60 sessions 60 a week. sessions a week. And I can attest to that because I've done the 60 yeah. sessions a week. Yeah. yeah. It, like, it's crazy. So, yeah. you know, like, if you do 60 sessions a week, you're probably working with 35 people. Mm. If you're doing 60, 40 online face-to-face, you're probably working with anywhere from, like, 40 to 65 people. Yep. So you're helping more people, but then you do half as much taxing time-based work. That's right. You're still working. Yeah. It's just not as ta- energetically taxing. No, that's right. So for me, that's a like that like that's a three to one swing, mm. and then you're in a really sweet sustainable spot. But at that point, you should be you know if, if one in five clients is giving you a referral every three to six months, mm. that means worst case, you know, let's just say every six months you're getting that and you're with 40 clients, that means you're getting eight referrals every six months. So bad. That's sustaining your business. Typically, you're not going to see drop-off no. with the blended model as much as you will face-to-face either and then feel it. Yep. Like people, like face-to-face, you're like doing two or three sessions a week, someone's like, bam, I'm stopping. You're like, fuck. Yeah, that makes a big hit. Whereas typically, if you're doing the blended model, you're really only seeing people at the most twice a week, and yeah. then if they're dropping back, they're dropping back to one. Yeah, that's right. Or they'll go and do online. Mm. But when we, you know, thinking back to when I was doing sixty sessions a week, like as as much as you avoid it, by the time you get to Friday worth of sessions, you're so fatigued and oh, it's, so unproductive. Oh, it's so bad. The service level declines, even though you don't intend it to. No, I remember getting Fridays, man. I'd never work Friday hours. Yeah. But I was like, when I had the facility and I'm managing the staff and I'm doing like 40 odd sessions a week, or yeah. sessions, I was doing a lot. Yeah. I get Fridays and like every second Friday, I would just be crying because <laughs> I was so fucking deliriously tired. Yeah. Like, I, like it was like this point where like emotionally I was just broken. You're drained. That's when I knew. That's when I knew. I was like, oh, I've got to change this, like whatever it was. Yep. And you know, you, like even like if you look like this is back to the story, I was like, yeah, I was a glorified HR manager recruiter. Like there's a yeah. negative. Um, like emotion associated to it, like, like emotionally, I was like broken, and it was probably every second or third week. I would like, I'd be like, I don't even know where I'm crying, but like tears would come out of my face, and I was just so <laughs> fucking tired. It's true, but it is. And then I would need to like smash calories. Yeah. I had like my Friday cheat night or whatever. Yeah. And it was like more of an emotional crutch yeah. than like cal- like needing calories or yeah. anything. And then I would just be like, oh, now I'm in weekend mode. There you go. But unfortunately, that's like, it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast. Like, if you're a new PT, you kind of got to do what you got to do to, mm. to build the client base and build a week out. But I agree, like, it's not sustainable long term no. at all. You know, it, it, anyone that is currently in the industry and that works with a number of people, like, it is incredibly mentally draining. Yeah. Because everyone's got their own issues, problems, 
training regimes. There's so much to remember, so much to go through. By by, you, by the time you get to Friday, you're stuffed. Yeah, if you can if you can start with the end in mind, and I think one of the things we're looking at with the curriculum for the review this year is giving more of a blueprint for yeah. like what that three to four years mm. from the moment you come in should look like. And yeah. if we can have you know eighty percent of our students coming through and member base coming through just adhere to this and be like, look, there's going to be outliers. So if you can bill thousands of bucks a week from the get-go and yep. you're an outlier, great. And if you're struggling from the get-go, you're an outlier, cool. Yep. We recommend this pathway. And it's like, look, for your first 18 months, you're going to grind. But if you grind smart, yep. after 18 months, you can have the 60-40 split and now you're in sustainable mode. Absolutely. Yep. And now at year, you know, two and a half years in, now we're looking at doubling down on whatever education areas are that you're weak in. Yeah. Because the business stuff is taken care of. It's taken care of itself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like it's, I, I would say like if we can have more people where you are, mm. that's good because then their businesses are like, you know, for lack of a better word, more pandemic proof. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people start the program and their intention is to implement the business stuff. Yep. The same way that when a client starts with a coach and their intention is to sort their food out, yeah. but they don't actually do the reps and spend the time, do the repetitions, yep. tracking their food, learning what's in it. Yep. These guys aren't consciously applying the like work that's needed to start transitioning these clients to mm-hmm. that online model. Yep. And like it's effort. Yeah. And as a result, then they just sit back in that PT model yeah. and then that face-to-face appointment-based model. And a few people, like like our members did really, really well. Like, like Fitness Australia, I think, lost half their members as yeah, soon as Corona hit, whereas we only, like, 5% were putting their insurances on hold. Yeah. But even then, I felt bad because I was like, guys, like, I, like, I know them. Like, I was, I taught them. I was, ta- I've talked to them in their enrollment process, whatever it is. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck, like, if you'd only just, like, put that effort in and... Yeah, I know you're tired and I know face-to-face sucks, but just done that extra two hours of admin yep. and started moving people across, mm. you would have had a more resilient and robust business for this period. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, man, my hat's off to you because I like, 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 I know looking at the business mechanics, I'm like, I know that it's better. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And like you experience it and stuff and yep. it's just like, I just wish people could like, you know, just like, yes, the status quo is easy, yeah. but just put that little bit of effort in because mm. it's just it's just so worth it. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Unreal. We're about to approach an hour and a half, mate. We've been chatting for ages. How good's that? Mate, that's epic. Um, all right, let's, let's sort of wind it up. And I, I asked this question to everyone um, and it's completely irrelevant to health and fitness, but um, who would you, personally, who would you have dinner with? If you had, could have dinner with anyone in the world, dead or alive, male, female, someone you sit down and have a good yarn with, I, I kind of guess where this would go. I'm, I'm guessing an NBA player, but, <laughs> but correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> How many people? Is it just one person? Uh, you can, well, you can name a couple if you want. Okay, there's like one person, so like I like if one person I fanboy over the most in my life, right. Michael Jordan. Yeah, yes. cool. Great answer. Like, like who's alive? Yeah. Like I'm a mad NBA guy. Yeah. Um, then there's like two other guys, Steph Curry, uh, Russell Westbrook, they're playing right now. I'd yeah. like to meet them. Sure. But like I would celebrity crush hard over MJ. Like I probably wouldn't fanboy over the others as much. Okay. LeBron James for sure as well. Yeah. So Steph, Westy, LeBron. Um, but... MJ, I'd probably be... I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> You're in the little kid in the corner. So, like, I met um, the... Like, my sister and a friend a few years ago um, won tickets to this red carpet event for this movie, and I, like, they didn't have their license. Okay. So, like, shit, this is probably, like, going back, like, 10 years ago now. So, yeah. I've driven them to this thing. Oh, yeah. And so, 
Um, Jason Bateman from Arrested Do It for Horrible oh. Bosses premiere. Oh, cool! So Jason Bateman, Jason Sudeikis, and Charlie Day are there. Yeah, get this meet and greet, and so the girls are like losing their mind. Oh my god, we're so lucky to meet you and stuff. And I'm like with them. So by by virtue of being a chaperone, I get a free ticket. Yeah. And so the guys get to me and they're like, hey man, so like, what do you want us to sign? And I'm like, oh, sorry guys, like, I just drove them, they needed to live. <laughs> and so we're all pissing ourselves laughing at like how old it is. And these guys are comedians, so they thought it was hilarious. Yeah, right. And then we're like chatting about like random shit whilst the girls are like losing their minds. So like, I don't fanboy over like things like that. Stuff, yeah. yeah, for sure, Michael Jordan, I yeah. would. Um, and then like, yeah, Dead or Alive or anything like that. Albert Einstein would be a big one. Okay. Joe Rogan would be cool. Joe Rogan would be very cool. Yeah. Um, and then Elon Musk. Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So they're 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 like my you, you'd my go-to with him, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I'd love, <laughs> I'd love, I'd love it. <laughs> Unreal. Oh, fantastic, mate. All right, let's wind it up. Um, how, how do people um, follow along with Sports Nutrition? Give, give the okay, um, yeah, website, um, we'll give social them. tags, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So depending on your region, sports nutri- if you're Australian, sportsnutrition.org.au. Yep. That's got all the course information stuff. If you want to follow for education now, we've consolidated our social media pages. So Sports Nutrition Australia, that's just going to share regional regionally relevant stuff. So what's happening with our members, yep. what's happening in the country with initiatives that we're doing. Yep. Sports Nutrition, at Sports Nutrition Association on Instagram, that's where all our educational content's gonna go. Okay. Um, that's already started, that started about two weeks ago. So cool. follow at Sports Nutrition Association, even if you just wanna learn more. Yeah. Just like, hey, um, we had a really good um, research review about just like getting heart rate data, wrist monitors versus chest straps. Yep. Hey, short answer is get the chest strap. <laughs> it's way more accurate. Um, but like, you, you, that's where all that cool content's going to go. Okay. If you want to hit me up um, at Aussie Sports Nutritionist on Instagram, that's my work one, and I'm being more active on it. So snippets from this podcast is going to go on there. Fantastic. Start promoting some of the stuff that I just want to see getting out there more in like more in the industry yeah. that we can have, you know, or I can have more of an effect on anyway. Yeah. Unreal. So like, that's it. Um, guys, I'm here to help, um, in any way, yep. shape or form. So just hit me up. The more information that I can give you so that way you can just make informed decisions. Yep. The better. That, that's my goal. It's not to say be this like, uh, you know, like, you know, this fascist, <laughs> you know, communist controlling sort of like thing at all. It's like to say, yes, you can or can't. No, yep. it's just to give you information so that way you can make informed decisions from um, that. Unreal, unreal. And if for someone who's been through the certificate in applied sports nutrition, it is a very good course, very comprehensive course. Um, and it's 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 really simple to do as well. Like yeah. the, the approach and the, the the questions and the case studies and stuff. It's not it's not overly complicated by any means. So no, that's it. Yeah. It's like people. I think people freak out, and sometimes it is a bit much for them. And mm. so what we're going to be bringing in is like uh, when we have the application, is we'll have like a basic quiz. Oh yeah. And then depending on that, we'll have like a introductory program if they don't score too well on that to then you know get their feet wet for the certificate from that as well. That's a great idea. Fantastic. All right, Alex, thank you very much for coming along, mate, and chatting. Thanks for having me, man. It's oh, been awesome. It's been awesome. It's great to chat, and we'll have to do it again very, very yeah, soon. We'll, we'll do a big diet round table, hey? Oh, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Well, if you ever come to Brizzy, I've got a pretty like, like, cool setup for uh, our, like, have you seen Joey and I've got an NBA podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is just something we do as punters. I think we've got maybe, like, five listeners. <laughs> It's like our girlfriends, so <laughs> thanks, thanks Carrie and mum, but, um, but um, yeah, we've got a real, we, we, it was in the middle of Brainer and it, all the like podcast equipment was sold out, so the only thing that was left was this like really high ticket stuff. Oh really? Yeah. And we're like, no, we're definitely doing it, so. 
We're with this really crazy podcast set up now. <laughs> so we might do a round table or something in, in, uh, at That's my cool. offices and stuff. And yeah. So, yeah, if you're in Brizzy, we'll get you, Joey, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Happen. And then you just whack it on your podcast. Yeah, it's our. Our RSS feeds are only for NBA. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks again. Um, so, if you've enjoyed this podcast, obviously, uh, please share it on your Insta stories. Tag myself, Paul's Body Engineering. Tag Sports Nutrition Association. Tag Alex, Aussie, Aussie Sports Nutritionist as well. Um, and as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.